Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. On this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast, I had an opportunity to catch up with Dan Purvis. Dan is the CEO at Valentium, and if you remember, a few months ago, we spoke to Dan about the Project V project that Valentium and a few others were working on to manufacture ventilators in a time of need. Dan gives an update on Project V as well as talks about the importance of design and manufacturing and quality and culture. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And I've got a return guest joining me today. Joining me is Dan Purvis. Dan is the CEO of Valentium. Dan, welcome. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So, Dan, the last time you and I spoke was a few months ago, and the topic of our conversation then was about Project V. And I'd certainly like to get a little bit of a recap about that today. And then there's a few other things that I thought I'd pick your brain about today. So I guess maybe a first place to start, tell the folks a little bit about who Valentium is, and then maybe just lead into, you know, kind of a synopsis of Project V and and where that stands as we chat today. Sure, sure. So Valentium is a design development and manufacturing firm uh, where we take medical devices all the way through the entire path, all the way to manufacturing and one of the clients that we have was Ventec Life Systems, and they're a ventilator firm up in Seattle, Washington. And we had the opportunity to build for them many of their test stands on their manufacturing floor. So when General Motors partnered with Ventec and the U.S. government to build 30,000 ventilators over last spring and summer, uh, we had the good opportunity then to step into that fray and, and build, as a result, uh, 141 manufacturing test stands in about a six to eight week period. And so that project was extremely successful. 30,000 ventilators were built in Kokomo, Indiana in a automotive factory that had had not ever built a ventilator before, for sure. And they converted that plant and built 30,000 ventilators from first meeting the people at Ventec in March uh, through the end of August uh, here at 2020. And so it's great. I mean, every one of our test systems either tested a subcomponent of that ventilator to make sure that it was correct before it went into a ventilator or was part of final test where you make sure that if somebody wants a certain mix of oxygen, that that's exactly what that ventilator is delivering. So that when you send these devices out into the marketplace, one hospital at a time, you can be assured that they're going to do good just like they were intended to. So it's been a lot of fun to, yeah. to see it work. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, I would encourage you and we'll provide a link. Uh, to that previous podcast uh, uh, regarding Project V that we did a few months back, but a really exciting adventure, you know, just pulling a lot of different resources together. Some folks who were familiar with medical device design and development, some who were not, but making it happen in a time of need and in the world and in our country. So, um, you know, you'll want to check that out. It's definitely a one of those great stories. And, and there have been quite a few, uh, fortunately, during this period of time, it's not all doom and gloom, but Dan, you know, Part of the challenge, I mean, uh, being a design and manufacturing firm, I mean, I, number one, I can imagine there's a ton of challenges just by blending those two things together. But how do you, I mean, since COVID, I mean, I'm guessing you've been remote and distributed workforce like most of us. How do you manage such a, such a thing in this uh, day and age? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's something that I think a lot of the industry is wondering and, and essentially wading through in a very difficult way. And that's the challenge with COVID, right, is that uh, there's a lot of unknown. Uh, CDC gives you guidelines for who can be in your facility and who cannot, but it doesn't give you guidelines on who should be in your facility and who should not. And so uh, the productivity hit of not being in the facility or the productivity hit of, of people trying to do work amidst all of their kids at home Zooming in classrooms and, and pets and spouses and everything else going on at home, or the productivity gain of somebody working at home instead of coming into the office. Uh, there, there's a lot of business decisions, uh, technology decisions that have to be made. And so we've, we've had a lot, of, a lot of internal discussions as a senior leadership team around really uh, three key areas. One is the messiness of COVID. Um, and, and just to be real sensitive here, like you, you hear people saying that it's just a political thing. You hear people saying that it's not a real disease or it is a real disease. And, and we've been real careful at our company to, to remind people that this is the real deal. Like most of us, if not all Americans at this point, know someone who has passed away or they know someone who knows someone who has passed away. And so first, just a shout out to anybody on my staff or anybody out there that, that is grieving, uh, we hurt with you. And, and so we worked real hard at the company to remember that we are a company, first and foremost, of human beings. Then these, the humans of the world today are hurting because this is a hurtful situation. And so how do you maintain a culture of empathy and at the same time, get a job done that can pay the bills so that we can all go to the grocery store, et cetera. And so the second aspect has been the culture of safety. And so we're real big at Lentium on, on the CDC guidelines of, I mean, I had my company meeting, which we have the first Monday of every month. And we reviewed once again, here's the protocol for why you should or shouldn't be here. And by the way, if there's a way for you not to come, please don't. But then if you do have to be in the office, here's the protocol for whether or not you can. And then more importantly, now, here's the protocol for if you can't be here, when you can come back. And uh, that can be a little confusing at times because it's different based on whether or not you've tested positive. Maybe you've not tested positive, but you're showing symptoms. Maybe you haven't tested positive and you're not showing symptoms, but you've been exposed. Uh, and then the different regulations around that can be confusing. And sometimes they're even more stringent state by state. Uh, or jurisdiction by jurisdiction. And so um, the ideas around when can you come back to the office, if you should come back to the office, and then how do you behave is a third one when you're in the office. And so uh, it's clear, the science is clear that uh, when we are masked up and distanced, we have a much better chance of not spreading the disease. And so uh, when is a mask necessary? When is a mask unnecessary? Uh, it's clear a mask is not necessary when you're in your office bedroom at home on a Zoom call, right? And so that's just easier all the way around. When you're in the office, then when is a mask necessary and when is it not? Certainly if you're in the common areas, certainly if you're coming in and out of the building, if you're in the restrooms, et cetera. Um, and then we've had a lot of discussions about productivity in the workforce, in the cube, away from people, but still on the same air handling system. Um, lots of neat technology coming out even now in the med device world about sanitizing buildings uh, from viral contamination. And so uh, we're looking into some of that technology, involved in some of that technology, and trying to keep people safe. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, at the same time, I mean, it's, you know, I appreciate the the sentiments and the message. And I, I think that's very important for people to understand the situation and circumstances. But, you know, again, you're, you're a design and manufacturing firm. I mean, design, maybe um, you can figure out, but 
how have you managed just, you know, to, to staff? I mean, it's, I got to imagine juggling schedules and things like that becomes a little bit of a logistical challenge and you probably got deadlines and certain things that you have to manage and maintain. And, oh yeah, by the way, there's this other thing that's really important. You still have to maintain the same uh, quality that that's important to your business and to your products and processes that, that just seems like an awesome challenge to juggle. Maybe there's some tips and pointers that you and your team have picked up that could be relevant and important for the rest of the industry to learn a little bit more about. Sure. Let's start with design and development, and then we'll move into manufacturing, because they really are two different animals in the sense that manufacturing, by definition, is going to happen most often in some kind of a plant environment, certainly under 1345 compliance. And so, But on the design and development, if if you as a listener are not already storing everything in the cloud, um, I would highly recommend that that transition happen as quickly as possible. Um, we have been in, in a source code control type of environment uh, for, for some time. And so when we moved remotely, it was more around ergonomics and distraction and less about data and data movement because the data and data movement was happening with regular check-ins of code and designs and drawings already and had been for months and months on end. And so repositories where you're checking in and checking out and, and things are stored in the cloud is an absolute must in today's COVID and post-COVID world. Um, and then on the design and development side, what can you do uh, to, to foster a culture of understanding of everybody's individual predicament and then also to foster a culture of efficiency? And so where we've done that in design and development is uh, around the idea of uh, understanding and flexibility. Flexibility in that uh, the timing of each individual worker's most productive time is going to vary based on their personal schedule and their home life and how that best inter intersects or does not intersect with their work life. And then on the understanding is that we've entered the world of dogs barking in business meetings and, and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, doorbells ringing. And, you know, yeah. I don't know about your home, but then our home is heavily guarded by two miniature Labradoodles that take it as a personal <laughs> affront every time the FedEx guy arrives, you know, and so it just is what it is. And people go, I'm so sorry about all this noise. I'm like, no, it's, it's life. In fact, it's delightful. It's kind of fun to see the human side of some of the colleagues, clients, suppliers, et cetera, that maybe you didn't get to see in a sanitized office environment. Um, should yeah, I, move on I was just going to chime in on that piece. Yeah. I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we're all, you know, suddenly a little bit more vulnerable and, and maybe have a little bit more humility because we're all working out of our home. And, you know, we don't all have like ideal office uh, <laughs> set up in our, in our houses and things of that nature. So yeah, that's, that's, it's, but it's brought to human side to your point. For sure. My office here at home is in a corner of the bedroom because it allows me to shut off our master bedroom wing and, and have some privacy. But for the longest time of recent here in the background of any video zoom meeting, is what I call the COVID bed because my youngest son was tested positive and hence there's a mattress on our floor because it's an upper respiratory disease and we wanted the peace of mind of knowing that he was still breathing. And so uh, rather than try to pack that up every morning so they wouldn't be in the background of my Zoom meetings, I was like, forget it. It's, it's the life we're all living, right? So you do what you do. Yeah, for sure. The other thing that, that's intriguing to me, I mean, and it's been intriguing for much of my career is uh, you know, you're a business that focuses on both um, design and manufacturing types of services. And, you know, there's a there's an important dance or, or rhythm or um, a collaboration, I think, is, is probably a, yeah, actually a better word 
that needs to happen between design and manufacturing. Uh, I, I'm sure that you know, since you're offering all of these types of services at Valentium, uh, you focus on that a great deal, but maybe talk about some of the challenges that you've seen uh, that you wanted to try to avoid when, when merging these two disciplines together at Valentium. Yeah, for sure. There, there's really a whole assortment of different things you have to think about, and I like to categorize them into four areas. And having manufacturing and design under one roof allows those areas to be fluidly communicated across, right? So the first one is design for manufacturing. So you can, you can design this amazing device that passes uh, all of the design controls for quality systems and, and gets through FDA and gets approval, but it's extremely expensive or even impossible to make, right? And so how do you make sure that when you're designing, you're designing for manufacturability and then design for test? Uh, we talk a lot at Valentium about testing throughout. And what I mean by testing throughout is you can have product characterization testing. And so that's as I'm designing a product, as I'm writing firmware, as I'm designing a circuit, uh, having a test platform that can run through all the permutations of this device. So every possible voltage with every possible current, every possible reading with every possible other reading, et cetera, and well beyond the design constraints. That would be product characterization. So you can test things as you go. Finish your next build of firmware, set the automated test system off and running, and on Monday you get a test report, then it can help you tease out bugs. The beauty of comprehensive product characterization testing is that you can come back a level to design verification testing. It's not as exhaustive as product characterization. It's less, uh, less exhaustive because it's just around the design that it was actually built for. And that can verify the design, but then you can go back one step from there using the same code base and the same hardware and, to, and do manufacturing testing. So now every device that comes off the manufacturing line, is it according to what was approved by FDA? And if the answer is yes, I know not only that, but it was using the same code base in the test system that was used at the product characterization and at the design verification. And so design for test where my design and development engineers have been using a test suite that has been developed for quite so many months, both in characterization and, and design verification is now the same test suite that is across the wall over in manufacturing. And those two, I think, get talked about a lot, design for manufacturing, manufacturability, and design for test. Yeah. The two that I think are really important that sometimes get missed are, are design for longevity. Um, you do all this great work, it is manufacturable, and yet nobody thought to think about, well, where is that particular underlying chip in its life cycle? Is it going to be made by that chip manufacturer uh, two years from now, eight years from now, 10 years from now? And so you end up falling into lifetime buys because you didn't design your bill of materials around longevity-oriented parts. And then finally, design for quality. So if I get, if it's an implantable device and I'm going to start receiving explants and I have to analyze every explant, have I designed for quality in a way that I can, I can do that explant analysis well? If I've uh, designed this for one-time use, uh, what's the shelf life? Is there, is there battery usage as it's being shipped or is there battery usage as it's finally being opened? How do I, how do I assure that if it's designed for one-time use, it's only used one time? And how do I assure patient safety uh, if, if somebody tries to use it more than once, et cetera? And so uh, alongside the design for quality, you end up with this whole idea of cybersecurity, which we can talk about uh, if it makes sense later on. Yeah, I'd love to dive into that here in a moment. Folks, I want to take a brief pause and remind you that I'm talking with uh, Dan Purvis. Dan is the CEO of Valentium. And you can learn a whole bunch more about 
Lentium's products and services by visiting their website. And it's V-E-L-E-N-T-I-U-M dot com. Uh, some really great uh, information on their website. And I'm going to talk a little bit about cybersecurity and culture here in a moment with Dan. But before we do, I just want to remind you, too, that Greenlight Guru, we're here to help. Uh, we have the only medical device quality management system software platform in the industry today. It's been designed specifically and exclusively for the medical device industry by actual medical device professionals. So FDA, ISO, EUMDR, you know, 14971, 1345, Part 11, all those sorts of things that are really important to you as a medical device company. They're incorporated into the workflows in the Greenlight Guru medical device quality management system. So if you'd like to learn more, go to www.greenlight.guru. We'd be happy to have a conversation, learn about your needs, and see if we might have products and services that are fit to help you out. All right. So, Dan, uh, I do want to learn a little bit more about cybersecurity. Um I know you, before we started the session today, we were catching up a little bit and you shared some pretty exciting things that Valentium is offering in the cybersecurity spot. So maybe talk a little bit about that and, and then we can get into like the importance of, of you know, why this is such a hot topic these days. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so medical cybersecurity uh, is different than IT cybersecurity and then medical cybersecurity in a hospital or on, on a network is different than embedded cybersecurity. And so when we talk about cybersecurity in our design and development, we're talking primarily around embedded cybersecurity on devices that are either worn or implanted in the patient. And so how do you make sure that your design and your, your, your architecture and the way that you've laid everything out is set up in such a way that at the, out at the tip of the spear, right? So every patient that is having the device in them or on them is not a target for attack. And so it's a different mentality because like a lot of times in IT-based cybersecurity, you place a firewall in a place that's in a piece of hardware that's 19 inches and it goes into a rack in a server room. That doesn't work in embedded, right? And so um, ultimately what you have to do in cybersecurity is think from the ground up around vulnerabilities. How do I assure that my vulnerabilities have been eliminated? Uh, and we... We at Valentium take it, take it really seriously. We wrote a, a book on it. Chris Gates is our lead cybersecurity engineer, uh, along with Jason Smith, our tech writer, and Alex Worth, a colleague in the industry. Uh, they teamed up to write medical device cybersecurity for engineers and manufacturers. And it was the Amazon bestseller in the engineering category over the fall. And, and nice. it walks through the process for starting with vulnerability analysis and then moving through a cybersecure design development where you have a cybersecurity our, uh, plan and then architecture, et cetera, very similar to what we saw in the late 90s, early 2000s around risk and risk management. And now you see similar things in cybersecurity, although within risk, you're always looking at severity and likelihood. Uh, with cybersecurity, likelihood is one. You, yeah. can't, you can't say, I don't know, it's fairly unlikely because yeah. uh, by definition, there's a nefarious element to cybersecurity prevention. Uh, and hence, just like your dog in the backyard, if you if you leave a hole in some place in the fence, eventually your dog's going to get out, right? And so you can't say, well, I don't think it's very likely that he'll find the hole. Um, if the hole's there, it's going to be exploited. And so you have to attack cybersecurity from that perspective. And in response to the industry in the book, because of everybody's interest, uh, we, we have a companion set of three courses that go along with the book uh, that you can take and actually take exams at the end of those courses and be certified as a certified 
embedded medical cybersecurity expert. And so it's been really fun to help uh, the industry begin to standardize on a methodology that not only works to keep your device secure, but is embraced by uh, the, the FDA now has, with their pre-market guidance, uh, if you don't have a cybersecurity plan in your submission, then they don't, they don't review your device. You have to have cybersecurity addressed as part of your submission. And so um, from an FDA perspective, it's necessary. From a general safety perspective, it's necessary. And now in today's world, from just being a responsible engineer, it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I, I think that the topic of cybersecurity, well, I don't know. I mean, I think when I first started hearing about it, I mean, I, I had some um, impression about what it is and what it is not. But I mean, certainly an important topic that that uh, impacts a lot of medical device companies these days. I mean, in, in fact, there, it's probably rarer that cybersecurity does not impact your company these days than than the fact that it probably does. And, you know, I think with technology and, you know, the connective nature, you know, we always want to push information here or there or, you know, connect this or to that and that sort of thing. I mean, uh, I mean, th- there's a lot of use cases if, or, or situations where cybersecurity really needs to be top of mind instead of an afterthought. And, and I guess, what are you seeing? I mean, obviously, it, you, uh, Valentium, you know, wrote a book about it and you've got some pretty awesome courses around it to, to teach and educate people. But what was sort of the, the, the symptoms or the circumstances that you, you all were observing that sort of drove you to explore this further? Sure. So uh, first and foremost, we, we see trends towards uh, just patient safety requiring it as a mandate. Uh, we see trends in medical quality where FDA, as a result of of where cybersecurity globally is happening is requiring it. But then more importantly, the consumer is driving medical devices to be more and more connected. And so 62304, IEC 62304 talks about medical grade software. Uh, If you have a class C device, that means significant harm could happen. Uh, If you can't pull the software out and put it more into firmware or put it more into FPGA, where it's actually in the hardware. Uh, we always want to try to design the Class C component to be as tightly wound as possible. So if it's just the firmware, then the app doesn't necessarily have to be Class C. But to the extent that you have this Class C software where patient harm could happen, uh, you have to make sure that it's it's secure. And so um, increasingly, consumers, and myself included, I want, I want the data from my health and my devices reported to me on my smartphone, right? I want, I want to see that data. And so increasingly, you're going to see more and more App Store, Play Store apps that connect to wearables, they connect to implantables, and they give you actual real-time response on what's going on inside your body or on your body. And, and then you go to the next level where that app can also be therapeutic. It can dial in your therapy and, and deliver a drug from that device uh, deliver uh, some kind of electrical current or voltage from that device. Um, and so if you're going to start delivering things from the, de- from the handheld wirelessly back to the device, usually through BLE, then you better make sure it's cyber secure. But then even more importantly, you're seeing more and more of the connected world where I'm going to have sensors and control on my body, either on my body or implanted in my body, going out to the, the handheld maybe even running to the cloud, running algorithms and making decisions for me. 
closing the loop, so to speak, right? And so um, you see this as the holy grail for, for type 1 diabetes, where I've got continuous glucose monitoring, I've got the ability to run advanced algorithms, and I've got the ability to dose insulin. And so if I can close that loop and base it also on maybe some, some diet apps, et cetera, in the phone, now you've got the artificial pancreas. And so uh, if you're going to start doing these types of therapies, when they go awry and there's nefarious intent, uh, there's high danger, even while there's high flexibility and usability. And so you have to make sure that you don't compromise safety when you move towards this usability. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, I, I would encourage you to go check out uh, the book um, that Dan mentioned. Dan, remind us again, what the, what's the title of the book? Medical Device Cybersecurity for Engineers and Manufacturers, a real stellar, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it, the title <laughs> it's says what it is, right? So, yep, it's um, by Alex Worth, Chris Gates, and Jason Smith, and it's right. published by Our Tech House. All right. And again, folks, I want to, uh, if, if, if this is a topic that is important to you, which chances are it is, if you're in the medical device industry and you're listening to this, um, Valentium also has a, a course or a multi-level course actually on cybersecurity. Um, so definitely encourage you to check that out. And again, we'll provide links to Valentium's website and, and the training uh, that they offer on this particular topic. Uh, Dan, I thought we could wrap up the, the conversation today on culture. I mean, and, and I think specifically quality culture. I mean, we put a lot of emphasis on that at Greenlight Guru, you know, having building true quality into the culture of your business as a medical device company. Uh, I think, in, at least in, in my um, opinion, for much of my career, I think we uh, as an industry can do a, a much better job of that. I think sometimes we get kind of stuck in this rut or this rhythm of, of being so compliance focused that uh, sometimes we sort of lose the essence of what this is all about. So what are some of your thoughts about the importance of quality? Yeah, two thoughts on, on quality and culture. Uh, one is training, and one is like the character, uh, the, the underlying ethos of quality. And so let's talk about training first. And, and when we talk about training to quality or training as a culture of, of quality, I say it all the time around our company, simple isn't easy, but simple is worth it. That for, for quality and the business to really work together, you have to continue to work hard uh, on your processes, procedures, and then ultimately on, on a quality system like with Greenlight to, to assure that it's intuitive, it's simple, it's straightforward. And, and we find that as engineers, you know when it's not. When you, when you raise your eyebrow at the end of that meeting or you tilt your head, then there's more work to be done. And when you finally get there, you go, oh, yeah, now I can finally see how my quality system overlays my design process, overlays my business needs, overlays my deadline. And I can see how it can actually work together to make things quicker and better. And so um, that only happens with, with the simplicity that comes from lots and lots and lots of hard massaging, hard work to get it going. Uh, the, the next part is training that if it hasn't been documented, it hasn't happened. And that's, that's really hard, right? Because you can do 90% of the quality work, but then not do the signature or not do the CFR Part 11 electronic signature or not document the meeting actually occurred. So if that review is not documented, if that, if that analysis is not documented, then there's no artifact and hence there's no proof that it really happened. And so the rigor around documentation 
uh, built into the culture and built into the training towards the culture that we, we have this culture of, re of review and then we have this culture of documenting that review. And so we found that uh, different electronic signature tools can be very helpful to lower the bar of effort necessary to finish off the review. Because it's not just a review that's reported on, it's a review that's reported on and signed by the appropriate people. And then the final part of training is this, the shampoo side, right? The lather, rinse, repeat, like the consistency of culture. They, yep, okay, I got trained. Yep, I got it. Yep, I did it. You know, I was doing that last month. I kind of haven't been doing it recently. It's like, no, the idea of every week, every day, every hour, and because it's in quality lapses that you end up with quality problems and those quality problems ultimately can hurt people. And so uh, we try at Valentium on a regular basis to remind people that the quality, it's simple and integrated into who we are as a company, uh, but it's, it's also basic to creating good products and it needs to be every day, every hour, every week. And so that's the training side on the, on the character and quality. Uh, I think ultimately as medical professionals, we are all in this industry usually for the same reason, which is we wanna make a difference. We could be in lots of different industries. We chose this industry because we wanted to make a difference. And so continuing to hone your staff towards people that want to change lives is, is huge. We had a supplier recently uh, she's a graphic designer, supplier, and, and unfortunately, she lost her husband unexpectedly uh, in November. And, and so we as a company were able to give her another order and, and work with her to, to help. But then we just put it out to our company as a whole. If anybody wants to help her in, in this time of need uh, with her mortgage, just let us know and senior management will match it. And, and over the course of about a week and a half, our company was able to pay four months of her mortgage. And it was just remarkable. It was really fun for me to see at the head of this company that we have a company of servants. We have a company of people who ultimately care. And so you can't really train that. You can't train people to care. But if you, if you hire for that, people who care, then you give them a simple quality system. Uh, it's not an easy system, but a simple system, one that's intuitive uh, and, and people that care. And together, they work together uh, to build quality products. And that consistency remains because it's inside of who they are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so key. I mean, I, I remember um, really early in my career, um, and you know, I talk, we talked a little bit about the blend of design and manufacturing earlier. Um, the company I worked for, I, I, I guess my title was product development engineer, but you know, we were sort of a lean and mean and, and small engineering team. So we also had quite a bit of responsibility for manufacturing support. And one of the things I picked up on pretty early is when I designed and developed a product, um, first and foremost, uh, I needed to make sure that, that the intent of the device and its requirements and you know, characteristics, that the, you know, the, the physical attributes that those who were going to manufacture the product had knowledge and understanding of that. And, you know, it went beyond just putting it in specifications and drawings and things of that nature. It was really having, you know, conversation with them. But um, something innate uh, tuned into me and it was like, yeah, you know, tell, tell, make sure you're informing and telling these, the people who are involved in making this product, what it is used for, what types of procedures, you know, what types of patients are going to benefit from this technology. And I think that was something that, that I just fortunately picked up on. But when you can humanize that and, and get people to understand, oh, wow. I'm doing this thing. And even if they're doing just a small 
step in that device or in, in a particular process, but they know that that small step uh, relates to the quality of that product, which you know relates to uh, the outcome of that patient who's going to receive that. It makes all the difference, and it makes the understanding of quality and what we do uh, so much more important and so much more real. And and I think you know again, as I I hinted when when I introduced the the question to you a moment ago, I think we as an industry can do so much better. I think we've lost our way a little bit. Um, any thoughts or tips or pointers above and beyond what you and I have shared on, on this topic to on, on culture or, or frankly, anything else that you think is important for, for listeners to take home as, you know, homework for them to, to try to improve upon in their world? Yeah. So two things. One is we're creatures of story, right? So uh, it's how we remember things. It's how uh, we connect mental work to emotional work. And when, when mental work is charged with emotion, it's way easier to, to retain. When I ask you for stories from your youth or stories from your college years, you're going to tell me life lessons, but they're going to be rooted in story. And so to the extent that we can link the work that we're doing here in the medical device field with the stories of, of surgeons inserting these devices and changing people's world for good, uh, it's one thing to say that sentence. It's another thing to put a name and a face and, and see the emotion behind that, that person. And we had the opportunity at an epilepsy benefit once to, to watch a man speak about the device he'd received. It was a Livanova device for vagal nerve stimulation. And he broke down in the middle of his story and he couldn't finish because he was so overjoyed with the way he'd had his life back. And his wife finished the talk. And, and as you listen to him speak, it's so charged with gratitude and emotion that man, you go, wow, that's, that's why we do this. Right. And so uh, that, that whole aspect of story and connecting whatever you're doing each and every day to a grander story that is meaningful and changing lives is key. And then the other thing that I would, I would leave you with, we've done a fair amount of work in our company around the concept of flow. Uh, the flow state mentally is one where uh, powerful biochemicals are being released by the brain and deep levels of concentration and productivity are released as a result or unleashed as a result. And, and what I've found of recent as, as we've studied this is that the flow state requires you to push yourself beyond your comfort zone, but not to just crazy levels. Uh, research has shown about 4% beyond your maximum capability is where you need to push yourself for. And so if you consistently push just a little more, but not too much more, and just learn to enjoy that mental discomfort, that mental strain, uh, it will push you towards a flow state, which you'll see unbelievable gains. And so uh, we continue to think about that as a company. How do we get groups of people into flow states together? How do we prevent people from interrupting the flow states of other colleagues? How do we get flow states to happen in homework environments, et cetera? Um, because as, as research has shown, you can see two, three, four times productivity in a flow state versus out. And so um, anytime we're trying to, to kind of growth hack productivity, uh, especially in this COVID world where your life is being interrupted all the time, how do we how do we create two, three, four hour states of time where people are extremely productive, which then can free up some time to go have lunch with your family or help a kid on a Zoom call with their with their school, et cetera. I feel like we could talk for days about flow state. I'm I'm a fan and a student myself, and and you know I think when what I found is when I'm really enjoy and I'm passionate about the thing that I'm doing. It just flow seems to just click and, and tick, and it's and it's really awesome that when you're around an, another group of people, 
working collectively toward a common goal or objective, how that group of people can can get way more done uh, as a team than they can as individuals. So it's really awesome to hear that you're incorporating uh, these types of uh, practices and, and this mindset and things at Valentium. Uh, and Dan, is, I've, I've really enjoyed this follow-up conversation, you know, to, to hear the follow-up on Project V to the importance of design and manufacturing to quality and, you know, surviving and thriving during uh, COVID times with a distributed workforce and, and quality. Uh, you, you've contributed a great deal to this conversation. And folks, I hope you all have picked up at least a, a nugget or two that you can take home and and apply to your everyday life. So Dan, uh, Dan, excuse me, Dan Purvis, CEO of Valentium, thank you so much for being a guest on the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you, John. Appreciate the time. Take care. Absolutely. Folks, as always, thank you so much for being loyal listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast, the number one podcast in the medical device industry, and continue to spread the word with your friends and colleagues. And uh, as always, if there's anything we can do to help you at Greenlight Guru, uh, to embrace true quality and incorporate that as part of your culture and give you uh, purpose-built workflows to help manage your day-to-day lives as medical device professionals, then uh, please go visit www.greenlight.guru to learn more. As always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.